Welcome to Aaron Menke's Cabinet of Curiosities, a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild. Our world is full of the unexplainable. And if history is an open book, all of these amazing tales are right there on display, just waiting for us to explore. Welcome to the Cabinet of Curiosities. Life can get pretty mundane on this planet. Wake up, go to work, come home, go to bed. It's understandable that many of us want something more, something exciting. And to find it, we need to look elsewhere. Auguste Picard had dreams like those. He and his twin brother, Jean-Félix Picard, were born in Switzerland in 1884 to a father who taught chemistry at the local university. Science was in their blood, so it was no surprise when they enrolled at the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology to pursue complementary degrees. August got his degree in physics, while Jean-Félix earned his degree in chemistry. August enjoyed college life and even stayed at the university to teach for several years after graduation. Eventually, he took a job as a professor at the University of Brussels in their physics department. Now, around 1930, Picard became fascinated with ballooning and exploring the heavens. Specifically, he wanted to prove some of Einstein's theories correct by analyzing cosmic radiation. So he designed a brand new mode of transportation. Its purpose was to carry him high enough to capture and study the cosmic rays in the atmosphere. What he designed was a pressurized aluminum sphere, or gondola, which would be lifted into the upper atmosphere by a hot air balloon filled with hydrogen. The gondola was big enough to carry Picard and a fellow scientist, Paul Kipfer, high over Germany. They launched the vessel on May 27th of 1931 and almost immediately encountered a problem. The gondola had sprung a leak. Luckily, with a few items they had on hand, such as Vaseline and cotton, the two men were able to plug the leak and continue their ascent. They reached an eye-popping 51,775 feet, nearly 10 miles high, and became the first people to ever reach the stratosphere. According to many, they were also the first to ever see the Earth's curvature. Their analysis of the cosmic radiation at that altitude yielded impressive results. Picard determined that the rays were stronger up there than they were back on land, and he scooped some of the air into vials to take back to his lab to study. With their fieldwork just about done, Picard and Kipfer started their descent back to Earth. Or at least they tried. Unable to lower the balloon they were tethered to, the men drifted over much of Europe, wafting through Germany, Italy, and Austria. However, fortune again favored them as the night air chilled and the balloon was forced to finally land. It deposited Picard and his partner on a glacier 17 hours after they had first launched. Their oxygen tank only had an hour's worth of air left. After his successful, yet terrifying trip, Picard continued to explore the sky, setting another record the following year. But after two dozen flights, he decided he wanted to see somewhere else. In fact, he wanted to visit the exact opposite of the stratosphere. Picard was determined to go deeper. He realized that with some modifications to his original design, he could make a version of his gondola that would take him to the deepest parts of the ocean, areas that had never been seen by human eyes before. And in 1937, he debuted his newest creation, the Bathyscape. Except it wasn't actually built yet. Although he started construction soon after he finished the blueprints, Picard was forced to wait until after World War II had ended before he could finish building it. 
the bathyscape was finally completed in 1948. Rather than use aluminum for his design, Picard built a small spherical vessel out of steel. It had been designed to withstand thousands of pounds of external pressure at great depths. It was also attached to a massive tank filled with gasoline, which was lighter than water and unable to be compressed. To get the whole apparatus to sink, heavy iron weights were attached that pulled both the capsule and the gas tank to a depth of 4,600 feet. There were also motors on board to assist in underwater propulsion. And to bring it back to the surface, all he had to do was cut the weights loose and let buoyancy do the rest. Picard himself couldn't actually ride in the first bath escape. He ran several unmanned attempts before handing it over to the French Navy two years later. He then built another with his son in 1953, and together they reached a depth of almost two miles, deeper than anyone had ever gone before. Auguste Picard lived to 78 years old, passing away in March of 1962, but he left a lasting legacy, and not just on the scientific community. He followed in the footsteps of another former member of the Cabinet of Curiosities, a man named Palais Hould, who, if you remember, navigated the globe at only 15 years old. And where Hould had gone on to inspire Belgian cartoonist Hergé to create the character Tintin, Picard influenced another of Hergé's characters. Tintin's friend, the scientist and inventor, Professor Cuthbert Calculus. Everyone has a hidden talent. Somebody looking to break the ice might mention how they can sing or perform magic tricks, while another might be a skilled guitar player. It doesn't matter who you are or what you do for a living. You have something about you that makes you special. But in 19th century America, having a unique talent, or looking a certain way, did more than make you special. It made you different. Like Ella Harper. Ella was born in Hendersonville, Tennessee in 1870 to William Harper and Minerva Ann Childress. She grew up in a farming family with four other siblings, one of whom sadly passed away at only three months old. Ella was born a little different from the others, but it wasn't because of her hair color or how tall she was. It was because she was flexible. You see, Ella had been born with a rare condition called congenital genu recurvatum, which affected how her knee joints developed, allowing them to bend backward. Pretty quickly, she became a child star, touring nearby states like Missouri and Louisiana as part of the circus, demonstrating her ability to walk on all fours by bending her knees 90 degrees in the opposite direction. Her performances even earned her the nickname the Camel Girl, because camels also walk with their knees bent in such a fashion. In 1886, when she was just 16 years old, Ella met a man named W.H. Harris. He was the owner of the Nickel Plate Show, a traveling circus that was almost on par with P.T. Barnum's. Harris had a cadre of animals and sideshow performers, but Ella was something special. He offered her a job performing for $200 a week. Adjusted for inflation, that comes out to a weekly salary of roughly $5,000 today, an unfathomable amount of money in 1886, especially for a 16-year-old girl. Ella continued to be advertised as the camel girl and was often exhibited alongside a real camel for comparison. Spectators were beckoned forward to come and see the girl who walked on her feet and hands just like an animal. Before she was unveiled, cards would be handed out to the public that described Ella and how she almost never walked on two legs. She preferred to get around on her hands and feet, shuffling forward like a camel without the humps. 
The cards also encouraged audiences to see her while they still could, as she had been touring for four years and was leaving the circus soon to go to school. And it wasn't a marketing ploy, either. Ella really was planning on leaving the entertainment business entirely before the end of the year. And at the close of 1886, she took her earnings and went into retirement. She practically vanished until 14 years later when her name popped up on census records for 1900. Ella had gone back to Tennessee to live with her mother. Sadly, her father and one of her brothers had died in the interim, but eventually she fell in love with a teacher and shopkeeper named Robert Savely. The two were married in 1905 and had one daughter, Mabel. As if the deaths of her siblings and father weren't enough, though, Ella suddenly lost Mabel six months after her birth. She and Robert moved to another county in Tennessee where they took in Ella's mother to live with them, and then in 1918, the couple adopted a baby girl named Jewel. Yet tragedy seemed to follow them wherever they went, and Jewel passed away when she was only three months old. Ella and Robert moved one last time to Nashville, where she finally succumbed to colon cancer in December of 1921 at the age of 51. Her mother died three years later. It was believed that Ella was buried next to her children. She had been born with a condition that would have affected her in any number of ways. Many diagnosed with genu recurvatum often experience chronic pain and osteoarthritis. Also, given the time period, she could have found herself unable to maintain a job or even find a partner as a result of her condition. But Ella Harper showed them all. She used her gifts to entertain crowds and earned a lot of money in the process, getting out of the circus and building a life for herself and her family. She made the best of her situation, something we should all aspire to. And it's fair to say, to the circus audiences in Tennessee at least, that she was definitely the bee's knees. I hope you've enjoyed today's guided tour of the Cabinet of Curiosities. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or learn more about the show by visiting curiositiespodcast.com. This show was created by me, Aaron Mankey, in partnership with How Stuff Works. I make another award-winning show called Lore, which is a podcast, book series, and television show. And you can learn all about it over at theworldoflore.com. And until next time, stay curious. Thank you.